Hi there, Paula Eamon here with a heart full of love for you and a heart's desire to encourage you to endure this short life with joy and hope, by the grace of God, for the glory of God. You're listening to Cloud of Witnesses. My husband Jason and I recently had the chance to serve at Red Cliff Bible Camp during what they call snow blowout. It was a lot of work and a lot of fun. Super thankful for the opportunity. We took our oldest sons and three other teens with us. Jason was the guest speaker. His messages were such a blessing that I wanted to share them with you once a week for the next few weeks. But before I play his first one, listen to my interview with him. All right, well, here I am with my handsome hubby. Hey there. (laughs) I can't say that about any other guest that I have. You cannot. That is very uh, definitely unique for this episode. So I'm so thankful that you were willing to um, cooperate with this idea. Oh, I'm a huge fan. (laughs) I'm a huge fan of your podcast. Oh, (laughs) so um, anyway, so our topic, this um, actually, this is going to be a series of four um, episodes with um, my husband. And so I thought we would start this one off since we're going to be um, talking about the messages that you preached at Redcliffe Bible Camp, I thought it'd be fun to just share some memories that we have of this last time. Now, I've been going there for off and on the last 20 years. How long have you been going to Redcliffe? Uh, pretty much my whole life. <laughs> and I'm not going to tell you how long that is. <laughs> no, I think I started going to Redcliffe um, probably when we first moved to Jackson. So that has got to be the early 80s. Okay. So for my listeners on the East Coast, that is Jackson Hole, Wyoming. There you go. Yeah. (laughs) Sorry about that. Yeah. So early 80s um, had a long history or had, I guess it was a relatively short history because the founder was killed in a car wreck um, maybe into the mid 80s. Um, So, but uh, my dad being a pastor in Jackson near the camp uh, was it just instrumental in serving a lot at the camp. And we would go up to family camps and do a lot of that even as a young child. Uh, and then, you know, I remember going to junior camp and then the junior high and high school camps and winter camps. And then I served on staff for a couple of summers. And um, now I'm on the board and have spoken at the camp there. So a lot of interactions yeah. with Redcliffe Bible Camp. It's been a big part of our life. Yeah, huge part. Yeah, huge part. Well, and listeners, if you remember um, the episode that I interviewed Wixie Highbore, we talked a little bit about the facilities and the location. So this is Redcliffe Bible Camp in roughly Pinedale, Wyoming, in the Wind River Basin. What do you think the elevation is? Wind River Mountain Range. It's about uh, 8,600 feet. Oh yeah, Wind River Mountain Range. Sorry, that's all right. <laughs> what was it again? About eighty-six hundred feet. Okay, so it's kind of up in the mountains there. And you feel it when you're up there. You do. Yeah, <laughs> not exactly sprinting five Ks up there. No, 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 not <laughs> this one for sure. So I was wondering if you could just share maybe a li- maybe um just a fun memory from this very last time we went. So sure. we were at Teen Snow Blowout, which emphasis right. on the snow. There was a lot of snow there. There was a lot of snow snow there. Yeah. Um, So maybe share a fun memory you have from. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, so many things to enjoy there. But uh, one of the things they did was um, uh, they packed down a nice tubing trail uh, uh, there on the camp property. And then they would stick uh, tiki torches and uh, light the tiki torches. So the tiki torches kind of lit the pathway down the 
down the tubing hill, which was a lot of fun. Uh, but several of the guys, we were strategizing about how best to go the fastest down <laughs> the tubing trail, uh, as well as go the farthest. So uh, we had a good time uh, uh, strategizing and trying out some different ways to get down the mountain really fast. So it was <laughs> a blast. I must confess, I was a weenie. It was so cold. And, it was pretty cold. <laughs> and Jason invited me to go, but I declined. And actually, I'm really glad. And he doesn't like when I say this, but I'm glad I declined because he had way more fun without me. <laughs> Uh, so cold is not your forte it which is, is not fine. my forte yeah. um i think my favorite thing was actually probably on the way home and that just bear with me that doesn't sound <laughs> nice <laughs> but we got to ride a snow cat all the way down the mountain oh yeah and it was fun for me because i got to ride in the front everybody yes. else had a very bumpy ride well we were all crammed in the back of yeah it too. i think somebody even got which a is little... fine yeah. Uh, snow cat sick, I guess yeah. we could say. Exactly. But I had such a beautiful front row seat to just the magic oh. of, of that ride. It really is. I felt like I was in a snow globe basically the whole way down the mountain. It's pretty much how you, I mean, because it's got that big glass windshield on the front. Yeah. And you can see everything. Yeah. And you're just going through a snow covered forest. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's just epic. it's epic. Shout out to Dave Highbor for. Yeah. He's a good snowcat Managing the snowcat, yeah, 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 pretty epic. Yeah. All right, well, um, I thought we would um, switch gears for a little bit, and I just wanted to kind of get your heartbeat on the messages that you preached and why you preached them. So I just have three questions for you to kind sure. of lead into what you talked about. So okay. um, first of all, what did the Lord lead you to talk about at the snow blowout? Well, really, it was... Um... It was a series of messages that started out with a crucial foundation and kind of built one upon another to get to a certain point. Okay. So starting out, I really wanted to lay the foundation for why we should listen to God through his word. Right. Um, so many, especially young people, uh, the attack on uh, the veracity of scripture and its applicability to their lives is rooted in a clear understanding that God has spoken and that means something for me or it should mean something for me. Um, and so I started at that point, basically uh, working from uh, the, the, the beginning part of Hebrews, the beginning part of Hebrews chapter one and defining why we should listen to Jesus. Um, and then built from there. Uh, how do we deal with, you know, once we kind of laid that foundation of why we should listen to Jesus, then built on that, okay, when we have those doubts, how do we deal with those doubts? Where do they come from and how do we deal with them? How do we fight a fleshly skepticism that uh, can often enter into our thinking? How do we, how do we wrestle against that? Um, uh, and then from there, beginning to build. So if God has spoken and we can trust what he has said, then what has he said about who I am? Uh, and, and really trying to build a biblical understanding for young people to really relish their union with Jesus Christ, their connection to Jesus Christ. And then what does that mean for them? Being connected to Jesus, what does that mean? And we really explored that through Romans chapter eight. So that's the last three. So really it goes from this foundation of listen to Jesus for as the authority for your life, deal with the doubts in biblical ways, and then live in unity 
with Jesus Christ and flesh that out in the ways that you live. Mm -hmm. That's powerful. And I had the privilege of um, being there for all of these sessions and it, it really, really um, encouraged my heart, humbled me, uh, convicted me. So I yeah, praise the Lord for that. I know I needed it. And yeah. But why do you believe that topic is so vital for our teens today? Because specifically, it was a teen retreat. What? Right. How did the Lord lead you to talk about this? There's so many things, you know, you sure. think about hot topics for teenagers. Yeah, yeah. Um, why? <laughs> Union with Christ is not exactly at the top of the exactly, list. Exactly, right. right. I, you know, sounds like systematic theology. You know? <laughs> right. Not, not right. everybody's go-to for teens. Yeah. But yeah. How do you, how, why did the Lord burden you for this topic specifically for teenagers? Well, I, I think... I mean, I think primarily for really because all believers need to understand who they are in Christ. Um, and the reason I chose, the reason I went this direction is because it's such an integral message throughout the New Testament as a whole, right? It comes to the surface all the time in Paul's writings. Uh, who are we in Christ, in him, in whom all of these, these, these connected concepts through the entire New Testament that completely reorient an individual to not only their relationship to God, but then their connection to the world around them. And, and really that's, that is really what kind of aimed me, especially for these young people. And especially in the world that we now live, everything is centered around an individual's ability to define themselves and their place in this world. And that is completely contrary to how, how God functions and how God set the world up, right? This is his world and we live in his world according to his good pleasure to do his good will. And that only seems and feels and functions to be good as we see it described by God in his word. Um, in, in all other contexts, it's, it's restrictive and out of date and out of touch and unapplicable, but so much of who God created us to be and how we flesh that out in the world around us is incredibly applicable today's, to today's life. Mm -hmm. And not only for young people, but for adults too. But I had the context to, to hopefully, with the truth of the word of God and the help of the spirit, hopefully to set these young people's minds thinking this direction early on. So it's not like a corrective thing later on in life, but they've kind of been set on the right course earlier on. So this is kind of foundational. Oh, I would see this to be incredibly foundational. Yeah. 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 My union, my connection to Jesus Christ and what that means for who I am and how I live in his world. Mm. That's, that's, uh, that is a basic, some basic understanding mm. that I think in a lot of ways, even in our modern Christianity has been buried by a lot of, I don't know, um, fluff. Se yeah, fluff, mm -hmm. secularism, mm -hmm. um, emotionalism, this, this kind of God helps me feel good. Mm -hmm. So then I do the things that he says that help me feel good mm -hmm. rather than submitting myself to who he says that I am mm -hmm. and then living in accordance with that. Mm -hmm. So, um, ho hopefully it was one of those points that maybe just bumped their trajectory their spiritual trajectory, even just a little bit. And that's definitely our prayer. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So in light of cloud of witnesses, where the big emphasis is inspiring people to endure. Yeah. 
where do you think this would fall in that? Or would it just fall in inspiring? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think, I think there's so much of it that, that connects directly to your core messaging as far as inspiring people to endure. I mean, the whole middle section of Romans eight is about, um, suffering, right? And how do we as Christians view suffering? Um, and when you view it from the perspective of that, I am united with Christ, then you can say things like you can resonate with the truth that Paul says in the middle of Romans eight, that the suffering that we presently endure cannot be compared to the glory that is going to come. That only makes sense in the context of my connection to Jesus Christ, right? And endurance only makes sense in a context of connection to Jesus Christ or in unity with Christ. I mean, even, even, you know, the passage that your podcast is completely built around, you know, the, the Hebrews 12, that we have this great cloud of witnesses that testify to the truth that following Jesus, enduring in our obedience and loving relationship with Jesus Christ is worth it. That cloud of witnesses, they testify to the fact that how they lived was humanly impossible, but connected to Christ, they were given grace to live in a way that went completely counter to our natural tendencies and even to the entire world around them to the extent that some of them even gave their lives. And truly, um, endurance, the thought of endurance is kind of like dropping you into the middle or towards the end. You know, you think yeah. you have to start the race yeah. to even endure and right. you only endure if the race is compelling and, um, starting the race of Christianity is belief in the Lord yes. Jesus Christ to save yeah. you from your sins. And so yeah. I'm, I just was so, um, burdened to share these messages because I feel like they're so very foundational to the Christian life. And so listener, I just really hope that, um, you are encouraged, um, for any listener who has not yet started their race of faith. I pray that this will just be such, um, it will provide such clarity to you for who God is, what he has done for you through Christ. Um, who he has created you to be, and just so much more. So I'm just really excited and encouraged to share these four messages with you. And I just pray the Holy Spirit will really use them in your heart and life um, for whatever part of the race that you're on. And so, um, uh, yeah, I hope this blesses you. And thanks again, Jason, for being willing to let me share this with the listeners. Uh, truly a privilege. All right, take your Bibles, come with me to the book of Hebrews, okay? Book of Hebrews, chapter 1. We'll look a, bit at, a little bit in chapter 2, but usually, if you have a decent-sized Bible, it might be on the same page. If not, it's probably like a page back. So the book of Hebrews, chapter 1, will be a little bit in chapter 2. <clears throat> Before we jump in, I got a question for you. Why do we listen to what certain people say and not others? Strangely enough, Mr. Keith posed this question to me tonight. <laughs> Why is nobody listening to me? 
Why do we listen to what certain people say and what others don't? Okay, let's, uh, let me give you, there's two people, you probably know them, all right? Uh, Tom Brady and Martha Stewart, right? Who would you ask a football question to? Yeah, that's uh, pretty obvious, right? Tom Brady, okay? Uh, now, I mean, as far as the commercials go, Martha Stewart may know a little bit about football, I don't know, right? But we'd probably ask Tom. We'd probably ask Tom, all right? Who would you ask to help you host a dinner party? Tom Brady? Yeah. No, no. I am 100% I am for sure that Tom Brady could not throw a dinner party. He could not. <laughs> But Martha Stewart can, right? We'd ask her, okay? Here's another one. You might know these people, okay? Who would you ask about building muscles? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we would ask Dwayne The Rock Johnson. He didn't get the nickname The Rock for nothing, right? Who would you ask about building a, um, an empire of makeup? <laughs> the Rock? Yeah, no. You wouldn't ask The Rock, okay? You would ask Kylie Jenner, right? You would not ask The Rock about makeup, okay? So let me ask you another question. Why should you care what God says? Why should you care what God says, right? Here's my goal tonight. I want to persuade you to listen to Jesus as the authority for life, okay? Just in the same way that we would not ask Martha Stewart What's the best play on third down and nine when the defense is blitzing? There are certain people that we should ask about how to live life and how to not live life, right? My goal is to persuade you to listen to Jesus as the authority of life. Why should you care what God says? Well, I think we have to discuss first what your options are, right? What are your other options? Well, you could take the antagonistic approach, right? I refuse to acknowledge what God says, and I seek to persuade others not to care, right? Completely antagonistic towards God. Maybe even to the extent that we would suggest that God is either wrong, or maybe even that God doesn't exist. And I refuse to acknowledge his existence. I refuse to acknowledge his authority. I don't care what he says about my life. That's an approach, okay? Your second option is apathy. Eh, God may or may not exist. Maybe he says some things about life, but really what God says is kind of ancient and it's out of touch with modern sensibilities. How does it really impact me? How does it impact my life? I don't really believe that what God says connects with what's going on in my life right now and therefore it's meaningless to me. I think you probably could interpret that even a little bit further to say, I don't really care what anyone says except me. What's another option? Well, you could go with the route that says, well, maybe there's an alternative. I don't really care what God says, but maybe there's somebody else that has some really wise life advice that I can seek out and I can take their life advice and I can kind of figure out how to make this whole thing work. I don't really care what God says, but I'll care what maybe somebody else says. You know how that usually ends up? 
it, it usually ends up with you caring what you say about life. Right? There's one last option here. Okay, so you have the option of antagonistic, right? I don't want God. I don't want anything to do with him. I think he's wrong. I don't even think he exists. Apathy, I don't really care. Or an alternative, yeah, maybe I'll find somebody to tell me what life is like. But there's one last kind of, op- there's one last option here. Uh, I alliterated it with another A, but it's called alignment. Maybe it's better known as submission. I understand who God is, and I care deeply about what he says. I believe that what he says is authoritative, and I will align myself to his purposes and his instructions. Okay? Obviously, this is the way I'm trying to persuade you, right? That I want to submit myself to what God says. I want to care what God says, and I want to live according to what God says. Now, why is this important? Well, I think this is important because your understanding of the world around you and your ability to interact with it in any kind of a healthy way depends on who you listen to. Your ability to understand the world around you in any kind of way or to interact with the world around you in any kind of healthy way depends on who your authority is. And if you place yourself or anyone else as the authority to define what life is and what it should be like, it's incredibly dangerous. Your ability to find purpose or joy or live with any kind of hope depends on whose words you trust. Your ability to make sense of, the, of the, a chaotic world, because it's not exactly easy going right now, right? I wouldn't look at the world today and say, oh yeah, everything's pretty chill. It's not chill. Everything is crazy and it's chaotic. And your ability to make sense of the chaos and then to live with any kind of peace in this chaos depends on who you're going to listen to. So it's my goal tonight to persuade you to listen to Jesus because he's the authority for life. This is why we're in the book of Hebrews, okay? We're going to come back to a couple other passages in Hebrews later on this, week, this weekend, but I want to start here in Hebrews chapter 1 because it, is, it clearly lays out for us why we should listen to Jesus, right? So you might be at this point saying, okay, you have to persuade me why in the world I should listen to Jesus. Well, I think there's, there's five specific reasons here, okay? Number one, I'll give them to you up front, okay? And then we'll work our way through them, all right? Five specific reasons. One, we should listen to Jesus because he speaks for God, all right? Number two, we should listen to Jesus because he reflects every part of God's glory. Number three, we should listen to Jesus because he's created you. He made you. Number four, we should listen to Jesus because he sustains you. We'll talk about that word sustain a little bit. It means hold together. He holds you together. And number five, we should listen to Jesus because he has redeemed you. So here we are in Hebrews chapter one. Let's read verse, chapter 1, verses uh, 1 through 4. And then I want, you, I want to skip a little bit, and we're going to read chapter 2 and verse 1. Okay? So Hebrews chapter 1, 1 through 4. God, who at sundry times, that word sundry means different, different times, and in diverse or different manners, 
or ways, spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. God spoke in the past to the people in the past in many different ways, but one of those ways was by the prophets. Verse 2, how has God spoken us today? Hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Okay, now skip a little bit. Chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore... Okay, now I'm intentionally skipping a little bit so that we make the connection between chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, and chapter 2 and verse 1. Okay, because Jesus has spoken and he's been exalted by the Father because he has given to us God's word, therefore, chapter 2, verse 1, we ought to give the more earnest heed. Uh, that would mean pay attention, right? We need to pay attention to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. The book of Hebrews has five warnings in them. This is the first one. The first one is be careful that you don't let the words of Christ slip. Be careful that you don't drift away. Be careful that you don't drift away. Drift is an incredibly uh, uh, dangerous reality for us, isn't it? Uh, I'm reading the biography of a um, famous Christian evangelist named Louis Zamperini. He was born... Uh, in the early 1900s, uh, he, was a, um, he was a veteran of World War II, and he was, after his time in World War II, he was born again and uh, spent the latter years of his life as an evangelist. It's an incredible story. The, one of the most incredible parts of the story in his time in World War II, he was a fighter pilot, and he was shot down over the Pacific, and he floated on the Pacific for something like uh, more than 40 days. It was an incredible amount of time that he was out there trying to survive. He drifted for over 2,000 miles across the Pacific. Uh, the strange part of the story is that when he finally hit land, it was occupied by the Japanese and he was taken into a prisoner of war camp. His story didn't get much better from there, but he survived and God used him in incredible ways. Drifting. He wasn't able to do anything about his drift, right? We can do something about our drift, our spiritual drift, right? We need to pay attention to the words of Jesus Christ. Drifting is a danger for us. Now, this is, uh, you can, uh, uh, there's, there's five other uh, warnings there in Hebrews, which we won't get to tonight, but the writer of Hebrews wants to emphasize at the beginning of these warnings that he's giving to be careful that we would pay attention to what Jesus says so that we don't drift. We don't drift. Okay. We're prone to drift. We need to listen to Jesus. So now we're confronted with this question. Why? Let's dive in. Okay. Chapter one, verses one through four. Why should we listen to Jesus? We should listen to Jesus because of his position. Okay. Uh, I gave it to you earlier when I gave those five things, right? He speaks for God. Here we are in Hebrews chapter one. Uh, God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past by the fathers, 
uh, uh, to the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. We should listen to Jesus because he is the heir or he is the uh, one who has the authority and the position from God. Now, we listen to people because of their position a lot, don't we? Uh, uh, How many of you are on Twitter? Hopefully not many of you because it's really pretty much a waste of time, right? (laughs) But we know from the news that if certain people tweet certain things, stuff happens, right? Uh, You guys know who Elon Musk is? Okay, the eccentric scientist and uh, businessman, billionaire, crazy guy, right? When he tweets something, people either make money or lose money, right? Now, that does not happen when I tweet, I promise you, okay? Why does it happen when Elon tweets, but not me? Well, because of his position, right? He holds a position that I don't hold. Therefore, when he says something in certain contexts, it means a lot. And people can either make money or lose money. Or, in his case, he gets called to Congress and to big business meetings and saying, hey, why did you say that? Because it means something, right? It means something. This is exactly the context of what Hebrews gives us. Why should we listen to Jesus? Because he is somebody. Because he's somebody. And then the writer of Hebrews goes on to describe to us who this Jesus is. He was appointed, verse 2, he was appointed the heir of all things. Do you know what an heir is? An heir is the uh, uh, son or descendant of someone important. Well, I guess it doesn't necessarily have to be important, but the the descendant of someone who has the right to their possessions and to act in their stead. Let's give a biblical illustration. You remember the parable that Jesus told uh, to the Pharisees. It's in Mark 21, Mark 12, and Luke 20 about the wicked servants, right? He tells the story, he says, uh, a rich man has a vineyard and he's built this farm here and he goes off into a different country and he leaves these servants in charge of the farm and harvest time comes and so uh, the wealthy man sends messengers back to gain his profits from his farm and what do the wicked servants do? They say, ah, here's our chance, right? We're gonna beat these guys up and we're gonna send them back empty handed And that happens two or three times. And then what does the rich man say? He says, hey, if I send my son, surely they'll pay attention to him. Why? Because this is the one that has the authority. Here's the person that has the authority. They'll pay attention to my son. In the parable, what happens? Do they pay attention to the son? No, the wicked servants take the son and they kill him. They say, hey, we want his inheritance. So we're going to kill him. This position that God gives to Jesus here is an assertion of his authority. He is the owner of all things, and he is the authority over all things. This position that he has declared to us truly in his word links him directly to the Father, right? As the heir, he's connected to the Father. We see that in lots of different passages, that when you, uh, here's a couple of examples, when you see Jesus, you see the Father. John chapter 14 and verse 9, here's what it says, Jesus saith unto him, have I been so long time with you, and yet thou hast not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father, and how sayest thou then, show us the Father, right? What, what, what's the point that Jesus is trying to make? Look, if you see me, you see God, 
There, there's an interconnected link here between me and my father, and therefore I have authority, and therefore I have ownership. Later on, Jesus tells us in John chapter 10 that if you're secure in Jesus, you are also secure in the Father. He says in John 10, verses 27 to 30, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. And if you have doubts and fears about that, Jesus says this, My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. There's an interconnectedness between Jesus and God. And this is why we can say, listen to Jesus because he speaks for God. There will be those today who will tell you, hey, I like Jesus. I like what Jesus says in the Bible. We should all follow Jesus. But I'm not quite sure about God. Like, he seems kind of mean. I'm not sure I like what he does in the Old Testament. I'm not sure what I, I like what he says. Can that hold water biblically? It can't. It can't. If you like Jesus, you have to like God. Maybe I should say it not in have to. You get to. If you believe Jesus, you believe God. If you listen to Jesus, you're listening to God. There's an interconnectedness because of his position that determines his authority and his ownership and it declares his exclusivity that there's no one else that has this position, right? You see it there, skip down to verse four. Being made so much better than the angels as he hath by an inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. The writer of Hebrews is gonna go on to say that Jesus is not only better than the angels, but he is better than the old covenant and he's better than Moses, and he's better than Melchizedek, and he's better than anything else. And he asserts that right here at the beginning, that there is no one like Jesus because of his position, and you should listen to him. We'll get to this a little bit later on this weekend. There's incredible hope in this concept of Jesus as the heir of God. And so I want to link us in just a little bit here, and we'll discuss it more later, because we're going to look at Romans chapter 8. Here's what Romans 8, 16 and 17 says. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. There's a connectedness here that we will, dis we will explore a little bit more but I want to give you some hope. This position that God has given to Jesus so that we'll listen to him has benefits for us. And we'll talk about that a little bit more later. Okay, why should you listen to Jesus? Well, you should listen to Jesus because he speaks for God. Uh, second reason, why should we listen to Jesus? Well, we should listen to Jesus because he reflects God's glory. Uh, chapter one, verse three Chapter 1, verse 3, who being who uh, is a reference to Jesus, right? Jesus being the brightness of his glory, the brightness of God's glory, light, right? A bright, glorious light. There's lots of scriptural connections that connect our thinking to light and Jesus, right? Uh, remember all the way to the uh, uh, announcement to the shepherds when Jesus was born? What, what is this, this event, right? This incredible event, these shepherds sitting on a dark field uh, in the middle of the night, 
and all of a sudden they have this interaction with these angels. And what is the, one of the characteristics of their interaction with this angel, with these angels? Light. Suddenly there was around them this brilliant light and this incredible announcement for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior which is Christ the Lord. He got here with light, right? Uh, John's incarnation story, John is a little bit different than the other gospel writers, right? Uh, he doesn't give us essentially the narrative, the story about Jesus' birth, but he tells us about Jesus' birth. In John chapter 1, verses 1 through 9, what, how does John describe when Jesus comes? He says that Jesus was, was in the beginning, and he was with God, and he was God, and all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made, and in him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shined in the darkness, and the darkness didn't comprehend it, and there was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but he was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world, Jesus as the light which comes into the world. Another example, uh, Matthew chapter 17, the transfiguration. Remember the account? Uh, Peter, James, John go up the mountain with Jesus. And there's this incredible experience that they have that none of the other disciples have, right? And there was, uh, uh, Jesus was transfigured before them. His face shone as the sun and his raiment was white as light. And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Peter, right? Hey, let's build some houses here. We can stay here. What's the announcement that comes from God the Father about Jesus. This voice out of the cloud, you know what it says? This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. Listen to him. The very voice of God in the brilliance of the glory of Jesus Christ declaring to us, listen to Jesus. Listen to him. In the restoration, when God makes all things new, we see even more of this light. Revelation 21, 23. Here's a description of the city that we will live in. It says, And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. Jesus reflects the glory of God. Right? We see it in his earthly ministry here where people experienced the brilliance of God's glory, we get to see it in the future. Even greater than that, not only does Jesus reflect the brilliance of God's glory, but he's the exact imprint of God's nature. Now, this is kind of a tough one, okay? Back in verse, verse 3, Hebrews 1, verse 3. He is the brightness of his glory, and then the second phrase there, and the express image of his person. The express image of of his person. What does that mean? That's a little bit tough, right? Um, I think it may be a couple of illustrations that may help us. Um, how many of you live on a farm or a ranch? Okay, a couple people. How many of you have cows? All right, good. How many of you have been to branding? Yeah, there you go. It's a beautiful experience, isn't it? <laughs> I see some realists out there going, nope, this is not cool, right? 
And it really isn't, right? I mean, you, you're kind of roping cows and you're dragging them in there and you burn them. And a lot of times they do a lot of other things to them. Uh, at the same time, right, it smells, I don't know if, do you like the smell of burning cow hair? If you've smelled it, you will never forget it, all right? It smells terrible, absolutely terrible. What, what, what is that? What is that branding time, right? Here's the rancher saying, this is my cow, right? You can't steal my cow. This is my cow. In a lot of ways, in, in very, it, it's not the same, right? But what do we see in the image of Jesus Christ? God's ownership, right? This is my son, this is my son. Um, maybe another illustration. Uh, you remember the old letters uh, really long time ago. The king would decree something. They would write it down on this parchment. They would fold it up or roll it up. And then they would drop a little piece of wax on the outside of it. And the king usually had a signet ring, right, that had an imprint on it. And he would take that imprint and he would push it into the wax to give authority to the document, right? This is the words of the king, an imprint, again, kind of helps, but not quite exactly, because what do we find in Jesus that he is the image of God? He is the exact imprint of God's nature. A couple of other gospel writers, or a couple of other New Testament writers put it this way in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 and 20. It's talking about Jesus. Paul, the writer of Colossians, says, who is the image of the invisible God. Jesus makes God visible for us the firstborn of every creature, for by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they're thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he's before all things and by him all things consist. We're gonna see some of these exact same concepts here in Hebrews chapter one. But he, is the, he makes the invisible God visible. That's Colossians chapter one. We see it in the gospel the work of the gospel. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, this is a really beautiful picture. Uh, again, Paul in 2 Corinthians writes this, but if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest, what, what does the God of this world want to stop them from seeing? The light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, who is the image of God, that's what he's trying to stop you from seeing. He's trying to stop you from seeing exactly what the writer of Hebrews is trying to tell you to listen to. Don't listen to Jesus is what he's saying. He's blinding you to the truth that Jesus is the image of God. He makes the invisible visible. He holds in himself the very glory of God. He goes on to say, that the light, uh, this light of the glorious gospel, uh, the God of this world is trying to hold it back from shining into you. It says, for we preach not ourselves, but we preach Jesus Christ and ourselves, your servants, for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You know what God wants you to see? He wants you to see his glory displayed in Jesus Christ. He wants you to listen to Jesus. He wants you to see not only a sacrificial Jesus who lived his life in obedience to every command of the Father in your, for your sake, but he wants you to see the sacrificial servant who gave his life 
the one who willingly gave himself for your sins. And God, because of his incredible power, can shine into the darkest heart the brilliant light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. He wants you to see that. So would you listen to Jesus because he reflects God's glory? Last one. Listen to Jesus. I've, I've grouped three of them in here. I call it his works. Listen to him because of his works. There's three works that Jesus has done here. He's created you, he sustains you, and he's redeemed you. This is packed into these, these first four verses here. You need to listen to Jesus because of this. He's done an incredible work, right? We've already seen his creative work. It's here, verse 2. Hath in these last days spoken unto us by a son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom he also made the worlds. We saw it because we already read it in John chapter 1. What is the announcement of this Jesus who has come into the world, this light that has come into the world? He was in the beginning with God, and he made, and all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him is life, not death. He's made all of these things. He directly participated in creation. His work is connected to the word. We're going to get to this uh, tomorrow morning. Um, we're going to talk about creation. We're going to come back to Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3. How did God make all things? He spoke them into existence. The power of his word. John chapter 1 says that Jesus is the word. And he holds the creative power of God. Not only has he created you, but he sustains you. And even more than that, he sustains all things. Look there in uh, verse 3. He's the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person, and he upholds all things by the word of his power. Not only did Jesus speak everything into existence, but he holds it together. He holds it together. We saw this already. We read the passage in Colossians chapter 1. Paul said that Jesus was the image of the invisible God. He was the firstborn of every creature. Excuse me. For by him were all things created, that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible, invisible, thrones, dominions, principalities, powers. All things were created by him, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. They hold together. They hold together. Who keeps this world from flying apart? Jesus, who keeps your life from flying apart? Jesus, he sustains you. He holds you together. Why, sh why else should you listen to him? Not only because he created you and sustains you, but because he redeemed you. We have a beautiful description in Hebrews chapter one of the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. He made purification for our sins. You see it there? Uh, end of verse 3. He upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty, of, majesty on high. He made purification for our sins. And he did it. Did you notice that there? He did it by himself. He needed assistance from no one or nothing. He did the work of redemption by himself. And he paid the full price 
for our sins because you have this following phrase at the end of verse 3 that he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, indicating completeness, or it's a declaration of finality, that Jesus completed the work. Every sin of every believer has been purified completely. There's no fragment of guilt. There's no stain that remains. Jesus sat down, not in a humble place, but in the exalted, victorious place at the right hand of the Father. The structure here that Jesus sits down at the right hand of the majesty on high is mentioned three other times in this book of Hebrews, in chapter 8 and verse 1. Now the things which we have spoken, this is the sum, which we have, an, which we have such an high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 12, but this man after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Why should you listen to Jesus? Because he made you. And he sustains you. And he, by himself, redeemed you in every way. Now, seeing Jesus like this changes everything. It should change everything, right? We have every reason to tune our ears to listen to Jesus Christ. He's exalted over every part of our lives. He's the owner and the inheritor. He's the exclusive one who holds not only the very glory of God, but has done the work that God sent him to. He is worth listening to. So my application question, who are you listening to? Who are you listening to? Maybe you came here not knowing anything about Jesus, not knowing anything about God. It sounded like a great time to go hang out in the mountains in the snow, have fun with your friends, which it is, right? This is a great time. But if you left without hearing about Jesus, that would make it the worst time. He's better than you think he is. He is better than who you maybe even at this point know him to be. Who are you listening to? If you've never met Jesus, I want to invite you to, to listen to him. You know what he said in the Gospels? He said, if you come to him and you're weary and heavy laden, you know what? He'll give you rest. He'll give you rest. Here's, here's the deal that God gives to you through Jesus. You bring every sin, every single one, all of them, every thought, every action, every mistake that you have ever made. You bring all the ones that you haven't made yet. You bring them to him and you give them to him. And you know what he gives you? He gives you his righteousness. 
every obedient work that he did to please the Father. He gives that to you. This is, this is a deal that you'll never get anywhere else. It's a deal that seems too good to be true. But if you bring him your sin, he will give you, your, give you righteousness. He will make you right with God. He will make it so that you can be pleasing to God. Would you listen to him? Maybe you came here tonight, this weekend, and you feel that soul drift that we talked about at the beginning. You feel it, right? You know where it comes from? It comes from who you listen to, right? The world knows that they can get you to listen to stuff, right? And they put their messages all over the place. They put them on social media. They put them in their music. They put them in their entertainment. They put them all over the place. They ingrain their message. The message of the world is ingrained in all of these different avenues. And here's the danger. If that's all you take in, if that's all you listen to, Jesus won't seem that exciting. He won't seem that good. He won't seem that satisfying because the world will promise you, hey, I've got something satisfying for you. Drink this, smoke this, inject this. It'll be great. Go here, party here, do this. It'll be great. For a moment, you know who gives you the most lasting satisfaction? Jesus. Jesus. My Christian friends here tonight, who are you listening to? Maybe you need to take some time to disengage from the messages of the world. To tune them out. This, this, is, this is the incredible value of a place like camp, right? You get to tune the world out for a couple of days, right? You don't have to look at the news. You don't have to look at social media. You don't have to care what so-and-so says about you behind your back be in fourth period, right? You don't have to, right? We get to be up here. And we get to disengage from the message of the world. And we get to engage with the message of Jesus Christ. Maybe you felt that drift. What voices have you been listening to? How frequently do you listen to Jesus? How deeply do you think about him? How often do you tune out the world? How often do you tune out the selfish cries of even your own mind and your own heart? I need this. I want this. I feel this. Would you stop listening to the world? Would you even stop listening to yourself? And would you start talking to yourself about Jesus? You know how you do that? You come right back here. You could even start in the Gospels where it's super clear exactly what Jesus is saying. Because it has like quotation marks and in some of your Bibles even red letters. Right? This is what Jesus is saying, and you can read it right there, and you can listen to it, and it can affect you and change you as you submit to yourself what Jesus says. Would you start listening to him? I'm going to pray here as we conclude. But you know what the most important thing right now is? That you deal with Jesus. That you deal with Jesus. Maybe it's something as simple as, God, I just need to confess to you that I have not been listening. I haven't been listening. 
I don't care about your word. I haven't cared what you have said. But I, and I haven't been listening, and I need to listen to you. Maybe for others, it's, I don't even know how to listen to you. I don't even know you. God, I want to know you. That could be the, the simplest of your prayers. Or God, I want to listen to you. So I'm going to give you a minute to deal with Jesus, and then I'm going to pray for us. Heavenly Father, we need your grace to even listen to you. Would you unclog our ears from the messages of the world? Would you tune our hearts, please, to hear and understand who you are and what you've done for us? Father, I pray for my friends here tonight. I pray that they would see your glory, how wonderfully good and gracious you are. And I pray that they would submit themselves to listen to you. Lord, I pray for anyone here tonight who may be struggling to even know who you are, who may want to have their sins forgiven. I pray that you would help them to reach out. I pray that you would strengthen them in their search for what it means to believe in Jesus. And I pray that you would help them to find forgiveness and grace in Jesus Christ. Lord, please do your work to change us. We pray all this in Jesus' name.